watch Tim wishes you good luck and Godspeed. Space monkeys blasting off about kilt and digital identity in the 21st century. With Christine Mohan, formerly at the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, she helped launch Polkadot as the Web3 Foundation's chief marketing officer before taking over as VP of business dev at Kilt. Christine, super excited to have you up here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here, too, and thanks for taking the time to be with us. It's clearly a bit of a wild time in the crypto space. Uh, We're not a price talk channel here, but I am curious what you're seeing as far as sentiment goes across the market and uh, maybe in the channels you're most frequently in. Well, I think we can't help but watch uh, crypto Twitter right now and um, the different Telegram channels for the projects. You know, many people have been through this before, so uh, what I am happy to see is folks really saying this is the time to build. And many of the Polkadot projects have funding and they're hiring. And I think it's just going to be weathering the storm. Uh, there's so many things that work right now, including um, the socio-political economic factors. But I would say we, we just finished a um, few conferences. And yeah. so um, we were speaking at Paris Blockchain Week, and then we went to Amsterdam. And maybe I'll break each one down, but net-net, it's... Yeah. It, great momentum. Everyone was really excited to be out. Mm. Uh, It's the first time we've seen each other besides on a small screen and conference calls and Zooms in probably two years, year and a half. uh, It it really cemented the relationships. And and you also got a good sense in some of the newer projects coming up, um, how solid they were by meeting them in person. Uh, Paris Blockchain Week was heavily DeFi. So that's a a very different kind of vertical. Yes. Um, Many of the bigger chains were there and sponsoring lots of exhibit space. It reminded me of almost like pharma in the 90s or something, you know, big space, a lot of speakers. Um, and so there was a lot of energy around that. And then Amsterdam, um, as you know, was very much an organic conference, um, started and funded and planned by ecosystem projects. And it was fantastic. Um, they planned it really great, a, a mix of business side stage and then workshops for the devs. And then everyone came together at breaks and great evening events and also hearing new projects coming up and also getting updates from what the more veteran projects are doing. So fantastic vibe there. And then uh, we went to um, Lugano uh, Skytail Ventures, which is uh, investing in a lot of Polkadot projects um, and has been for a few years now. Uh, They hosted a very high level uh, investor conference with bankers and people who were kind of web two, but web three curious. And um, so you saw the whole mix and um, some really great projects spoke there and there was a lot of time to socialize and get to know. And actually, we came out of it with two or three new partner opportunities. Wow. Um, So that was excellent. Yeah, really, really good April. And now we're zooming in in May. We've got, you know, Davos is coming up and um, Ingo will speak at DLD Munich, which is a big uh, media event. So we're going to get to talk to some reporters and tell them about Kilt. So it's it's happening. Christine, I, I'm, I'm super, super jealous of you here. Uh, I, I, and so many questions, too. Like, I guess the first one is, w- what's the main message you guys at Kilt were trying to share with other blockchain projects at these, you know, these four most recent meetups you've been to? 
Sure. Yes. And I was also, um, thanks for reminding me on Monday, I was speaking at a Hogarat um, meetup hosted by Zoe, one of the ambassadors to quite a few projects and she brings and convenes a great group every time. So we have a slightly different um, approach. We've started framing ourselves as, you know, blockchain for business built on Kilt. Yeah. You know, we built um, and, and launched a number of applications, uh, five to be exact, yeah. over the last six months or so since we launched our um Kusama Parachain, and then became fully decentralized in November, and then just started started rapidly launching uh, these projects and applications. And so, we are really trying to speak to the business decision maker, um, and certainly to other projects and how they can integrate an identity layer and identity um, functionality into their projects, whether that be like metaverse or NFTs or anything like that. So we're really trying to focus on applications and needs for both the business side, corporates, and also consumers. And then we do have some uh, folks in government who are either using Kilt or are very interested in, and that we're talking to. So it's a slightly different focus than some of the other um, projects, but uh, certainly identity is universal. So um, a lot of interest. I want to dive into identity soon, but I'm just actually curious about how you wound up in the position you're in now. Because like I said, in the intro, you were doing some product management as well as marketing for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And then a few years later, you were co-founding this project called Civil, which was a blockchain-based news platform. Uh, I'm wondering what problems you were seeing at the legacy media companies uh, that you thought maybe you could solve with the blockchain. I will go back a bit further and please remind me and bring, bring me back to the civil story if I meander. Okay. But um, <laughs> I uh, don't come from a technical or engineering background um, academically. I actually was the, the typical like English major, but then I was editor of our school newspaper and I thought I'd go into media. Um, ended up, it was 91, 1991. So it was uh, one of those earlier recessions. And so I ended up moving to Washington, D.C. Gotcha. And getting a job, um, you know, interning on the Hill, waiting tables, and then landed a job in a lobbying firm. And so at that point, I, I started realizing I had a skill for writing for many different types of verticals. You know, we had tech clients, international clients, auto clients, any, you know, we even had an uh, Indian tribe and I was helping them edit a book. And so it was, you know, quite a variety. And I realized I liked being able to break down different sectors and industries into easy to understand language. Yeah. So I did that for a few years and uh, had been reading on the side, had a lot of interest in kind of dot-com and tech and internet. And where I was reading the big magazines back then were like Industry Standard and Red Herring and Wired was coming up. And so I was reading all these things and I'm like, I've got to get a job in this. I've got to figure this out. So Fast Company had this thing they called Company of Friends, which is basically the precursor to meetups. Okay. And so I started going to these networking things and I met someone who said, oh, you haven't met so-and-so, but she's over at this interesting company called A Buzz. And I heard she's looking for a marketing person and a writer. And so I ended up um, joining the software startup that was started by three guys out of MIT. Okay. It was an adaptive profiling system. So um, really some interesting technology. And at the time uh, we had Microsoft, Lotus Notes and New York Times were all looking to acquire us. So I moved to New York from uh, from Boston, from Cambridge, and uh, I ended up doing PR. Um, I kind of raised my hand and said we were going to be um, an acquisition that was going to help um, be kind of the final um, website that would be spinoff as uh, an IPO for New York Times. It was going to be called New York Times Digital. 
it was right right before the um unfortunately it was like march of 2000 when we were supposed to go public and of course that was the crash but it but it all cycles through because within a year so i went up to new york times corporate and i worked and did pr across um, all the units in the newspaper and the international herald tribune and print heavy um, but i really loved working at digital so as dot-com came back and they needed to hire, um, I went back to uh, the internet side and was doing um, actually some uh, product roles. Um, I was launching and helping expand their RSS feeds and their mobile deals. And then I kind of got re recruited over Wall Street Journal, did a similar like PR marketing role, then got more into the hands-on um, operations of websites. And, uh, and that's where I really found this love for um, kind of kicking the tires on new things we would launch. And then also be able to tell a story about uh, to different audiences, whether they're consumers or advertisers or partners and making sure that as we launched each thing, we had very, very clear communications around um, the value. I think like trust in legacy media is, is is maybe at an all-time low right now. What did you see at your time working at these companies and uh, how did it bring you to this project where you're using blockchain to launch an even newer sort of media platform? So I had been at New York Times after the real boom of print media where they were, it was very easy to sell a full page color ad, which runs at about 100K or 150K. Wow. To, yeah, it's, it's a lot, right? And so when you, in the in the boom days, you know, you had quite a few color ads, uh, full page color ads, all the big brands, right? Every time iPhone uh, or Apple had a new launch, they not only did full page print ads, but they did full page homepage, home, you know, takeover ads on, on the homepage of the website. So, um, so it was very interesting, but we used to call it like, digital dimes, online pennies or something. There's just no way to replicate those buys on a website, even um, with homepage takeovers and, and different things. Uh, so as people were moving away from print, they weren't reading the paper every day, they weren't subscribing. You can't really make that money up in an online subscription. It's very difficult, even if you put everything behind a paywall, like Wall Street Journal did. Yeah. So it's really, it's always been very um, tough. And then you had, um, so the classifieds, you know, Monster came along and ate recruitment lunch, you know, and the autos and, and autos.com. So all of these digital startups also took share from the advertising for print. So there's always been a real need to see what technology can help move media forward, um, can make both the user and the reader experience better and keep them around longer. And then also uh, to have something interesting from an advertiser perspective. So that is um, what made me interested in, in Civil. It was a new syndication and licensing platform um, built on Ethereum, and we were funded by Consensus. Mm -hmm. So we were one of the 50 or so Consensus projects at the time. And we spent some time in the, in the Brooklyn office of Consensus. Um, so it was a really exciting time. Uh, I think this was 2017 or 2018. It's a long time ago. Um, but there are always companies like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, the, the big media companies, also certainly Guardian, they're always looking to innovate um, and they, they have innovation departments and they've done really exciting work trying to move um, media into um, the next sphere. And I was still very involved in technology and I really liked launching websites and apps and, and mobile and I actually decided, okay, I, I, I want to pick something that I'm going to do for the next 10 or 20 years. And okay. so I looked at big data mm -hmm. and AI and blockchain. And then I decided to jump in on blockchain. And then it turned out that, you know, I was living in New York and 
circumstances was there. So I thought I have to be able to get a job here. There's like a hundred jobs open. And then I saw literally yeah. on their website <laughs> that uh, civil media was hiring and looking for co-founders. And so I thought that would be a good fit with my media background. Okay. And, and what was the blockchain angle here? Like how, how did it change the game or how was it attempting to change the game? So it was actually uh, using blockchain to do verification and, and kind of the, the trust model and that newsrooms could um, come on and be voted onto the civil platform and then they would have to oh, abide man. by a constitution. Yes. So this oh, was a way, yeah, it was a way to kind of um, combat um, misinformation and fake. This, this is before even the fake news term came out. Right. And it was a way to have a kind of community driven governance and um, kind of people who are very interested in, in news and keeping it um, transparent and, and accurate in how the news was um, collected and uh, gathered and written. Um, so you would have to um, actually bid for a spot and you'd have uh, to fill out, you know, things that establish your credibility as a newsroom, your expertise, what you would cover, um, and then you would get funded and then you would be on the civil platform. And then from there, we were trying to help. Um, this was very, um, you know, a lot of local newspapers, the local news outlets, which have suffered, have suffered the worst. They still do. Um, right. Many, many have right. closed in the last five years. So it was helping them come up with biz business models and, and monetization. Yeah, that's very fascinating. Okay, so um, you worked there for a couple of years, and then you ended up as the chief marketing officer for the Web3 Foundation. Uh, how did that happen? And um, what was your assignment when you first joined in that role? Good questions. Um, <laughs> well, first, we had a failed token sale at Civil, and that was very unfortunate. Again, market was a little bit shaky. Yeah. And more importantly, or more to the point, um, news consumers don't necessarily know how to buy crypto or are comfortable buying crypto. Right. They're more, more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So there were quite a few hurdles um, throughout the process of our token sale. And so I think we had a soft cap of like $3 million. We didn't hit the soft cap. We had to refund folks who had gone through all the steps uh. and to contribute to our token sale. So that was my first token sale experience. Um, very, very interesting. <laughs> I also, that was my first experience. I realized, um, you know, a few months out, wow, these folks don't know how to buy crypto. We're going to have to do a support desk. Right. And so we actually worked very closely closely with consensus to do that and set that up. Oh. And then I'm going to have to do webinars to teach people how to buy crypto. <laughs> so that was quite a hands-on uh, time frame. Okay. <laughs> um, that was first sale. <laughs> and then uh, I um, had decided I was doing some traveling to speak about civil at different conferences. And uh, one of them was an innovation and journalism conference in Hamburg, which is actually where I met Ingo uh, who is the CEO and founder of Kilt. So that was a few years ago, and that's how I um, first uh, crossed paths with Ingo. Wow, okay. And I was traveling, and I, a couple times I came through Berlin. I was really impressed by um, how vibrant the blockchain and tech scene were here. Yeah. And I had had a consulting firm where I helped launch um, and position and market and do PR for small startups. So I thought I would take that small business, launch it again in Berlin, um, but then hmm. just ended up meeting a lot of the um, parody and Polkadot folks. And someone let me know that they were looking for a CMO. And so um, I did a small project with them and really liked the team and then ended up um, coming on full time as CMO. Gotcha. Moved to Zug, which is where Web3 Foundation is based, but also kept a flat in Berlin so I could spend time with the parody and Polkadot teams. So it was a very exciting time. Uh, my first job there was uh, Kusama was already launched, that, that blockchain. So it was really... Um, 
launching uh, Polkadot and preparing for the token sale. And um, this was before parachains had really been ideated. So it was yeah. really focusing on building community. So, um, and then the partnership deals and ecosystem. So I spent a, quite a bit of time um, helping founders for the different projects who had come through and been funded yeah. through the Web3 grants program. Um, mm. When they were when they hit their first milestone, they could do um, an announcement about you know getting their grant and reaching their milestone. And so I worked really closely with probably about 100 founders to help them uh, write their announcements and position them. And uh, so really got um, an interesting view into the ecosystem. And now I still know a lot of the folks um, in that it's helped even even now with Kill to know all these people as they've grown up their their uh, projects. No doubt. I, I find the task of sharing the story of Polkadot and Kusama to be so overwhelming and, and huge. How do you think that story or the mission of telling that story has changed in the last couple of years now that parachains and everything are launched? You know, decentralization is such a core part of what we're all doing in the different chains. And so yeah. we spent a lot of time educating around what that looks like, what the steps are, the importance, you know, at each step of the Polkadot launch. Yeah. And so that was a lot of education to be done. And it was really exciting to, for us to have that focus because sometimes start, people start focusing on their utility and all these other um, things that go into launching a chain. And um, I also learned a lot about compliance. We had many, many lawyers that we spoke to before the launch. Oh, my. And so I've since then, yeah, talked to a lot of projects about how to be compliant and how they talk about their coin, mm -hmm. how they shouldn't be shilling their coin, um, <laughs> how they should really focus on the tech. You know, you don't want to be even to the most granular level of um, you really shouldn't put your cash tag in a tweet that you do from your personal or official channel. Okay. And these are, you know, seem like to be very fine points, but they can all be seen as kind of marketing your coin to um, users that can't potentially buy it, depending on their jurisdiction. Right. So learning how to use social media to promote maybe your sale or your um, technology or your partnerships. It's, it's very different in blockchain to do it in a compliant way while still succeed in, in launching your token or launching your project. So that has not changed. <laughs> that's, still the, that's still the case. <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha. The difference now is um, it's really the chains trying to um, differentiate themselves. And there's so many um, that are striving for interoperability and it's kind of a horse race there. But it's also really, I think, um, what I'm seeing, especially now that things are opening up and we're, you know, Amsterdam was the same time as um, Eve Amsterdam, and there was also Dev Connect, and so there was a lot of nice um, cross-chain, you know, chats and drinks during that time frame. And I think there's more of an openness, um, and we're certainly focused on it at Kilt to talk to other blockchain ecosystems and see, you know, what they're doing, what we're doing. Is there a way to work together? Um, because really, in order for blockchain to have mass adoption, we all have to be working together. We cannot be siloed. We cannot be maximalists. Yep. You know, what I'm, what I'm learning from this conversation so far is that you, you've really tackled a broad spectrum of projects, and you've really dug deep on each one and helped like, bring these stories to light. I'm wondering, have you always had an interest in identity, or is this something that you became interested in after you learned about Ingo and the Kilt Project? Definitely an interest since I, since I met him, since I learned more about Kilt. What I have always been interested in is trying to get very sophisticated technologies to tell the story in a way that people understand and to drive consumer adoption and mass adoption. Actually, not just consumer, but business and consumer. 
that to me is like the most interesting thing of any client I ever worked with or any um, media company or any blockchain project is that, you know, having been through dot-com boom and crash and seeing kind of the cycle there and seeing the, the companies that kind of hunkered down and then after the crash came back very strong, you know, the Ebays of the world, whereas the pets.coms of the world, you know, went away and you never heard about them again. So trying to take those learnings into like what's happening even right now in the market now and seeing some really bullish, excited um, founders talking about what they're building next and, yeah. and just, you know, of course, everyone's watching what's happening in the macro, but we're still keeping an eye on what to build and who to partner with. I became interested and I also um, have been around blockchain enough that I actually am very careful in, to pick the team and to pick the leadership mm -hmm. and the devs. Um, I put yeah. all of that into the equation when I decide where to go. So Kilt and Ingo and the team here just checked all those boxes. Very, um, it's a small yeah. team, 25, 30, 40 people. Um, and identity being, there's just so many use cases. So that also interested me. And the fact that we have a focus mm -hmm. on, you know, gov and business and consumer and are launching across all of those. It makes it really exciting. Never boring in this world. Yeah, well, what what I really appreciate about the Kilt project is not only how long Ingo and his team has been working on it, but also, you know, how they really took the lead on establishing the standards of identity and w really shared that with other projects attempting to do the same thing. I, I agree. And the standards are important because that's going to help um, with all these partnerships and building across different, you know, verticals, whether that's, you know, IoT or even metaverse and DAOs and the newer um, iterations. There's even within the standards world, you know, some people are like, oh, blockchain, we'll never forget. It's not really, you know, decentralized. Like there's all these gradations. And so we try to keep data as private as possible for the for the user yeah. while also still being able to adopt it for business. So you could be too, you know, on the line of decentralized identity and things like that, but you also have to make this actually hit um, the marketplace and be used in products. So it's a, it's a real fine line, you know, identity standards, digital identity standards, um, privacy, trust, reputation. Um, those are all, have certainly like academic backgrounds, people who are very, very um, focused on how these things represent in tech and also blockchain, you know, with a blockchain that can never forget, is that really something that could be private or secure um, if someone wanted to? And then you also come up against GDPR and there's a lot of interesting um, regulations around that. So Kilt tries to, you know, weigh across all of those things in the applications we're building and keep uh, users' data as private, as secure as possible, while still being flexible with the technology that it can be adopted and can actually, you know, use cases can grow um, across different verticals. So it's really, really important. Um, we do a lot of education, actually, you know, all of our, you know, conversations with potential partners or, or press or conferences, we start talking about actually what is digital identity first, and then also mm. like concepts like, um, you know, self-selective in terms of being able to keep parts of your identity um, private and just then deciding which parts you'll parcel out to a different service and how that can keep 
the majority of your data um, secure and, and safe and private, yep. but you just give a service enough to um, use that service, which is you know the opposite of what uh, a lot of the big monopolies do, whereas they kind of vacuum up all your data, store it in silos, and then you never really know when they're sharing it or monetizing it. The other thing I really like about Kilt is you've been talking a lot about creating partnerships with businesses, but uh, you're also, of course, creating partnerships with governing bodies. I mean, you mentioned there that you'll be uh, you'll be going to uh, speak at Devos in, in a few weeks. Um, what can you tell us about the partnerships that are exciting you most between Kilt and these kind of larger bodies? So we've had a long-term relationship and, and collaboration with DINA, which is the German Ministry of Energy, We've been working across a couple of um, cloud projects uh, and consortiums in Germany. And it's everything from kind of like smart meters. Um, We're seeing um, some interest from different countries in um, Kilt to do, um, you know, carbon credits registries. Kilt and identity go really well with any type of a registry um, or or curated um, lists. The big government relationships, the big business deals take the longest. So it's a mix of how to spend our time on moving those forward and and the education piece and also gathering the important consortia groups. And we also are part of um, a few of the larger governing bodies. And those are really important because they bring in the IBMs of the world and everyone's there large and small and working on standards like like we spoke about before. Um, that can actually, so we can move forward with some, you know, framework of agreement and then build from there. I've been hearing a lot lately about, you know, the darker side of identity, right? Like the social credit scores and, you know, how identity can be used to to draw lines in the sand, to, to build walls and not allow people to do certain things around the world. How, how do you guys think about this more dystopian side of digital identity and, and how do we avoid those outcomes? One way is... Uh, by even just having Kilt and Bot Labs, which is our corporate entity, be based in Germany and in, in the EU. Yeah. So um, coming from the US, um, I've always had respect for, EU has always been much more focused on and much more um, aggressive towards privacy and data. And so that is a great place to start. And then certainly in the last few years, as tech in general and also blockchain have become absolutely global, you have yep. to take all the jurisdictions into account. So even, you know, I share, you know, anecdotes with some of our U.S. partners and they, of course, are building for GDPR. And that's also with both myself and Ingo coming from media, we definitely um, talk to some of the bigger media companies about their needs, you know, Collecting data and information and user information is basically the, the ad model, right? Advertising supported model. Um, you're retargeting across your websites. You are sharing that data with partners, of course, with disclosures and check marks, but we all check those boxes and don't really think about that. Right. But that's where the idea for one of the Kilt applications came from, which is called Social KYC, yep. where um, instead of, so you could use Social KYC to log into services, maybe it's Trello or maybe it's a news website. All they need to verify really is your email address, right? Or maybe your zip code if they want to do a little bit of um, demo or geo-targeting to you. And so the ability to just share that one data point in order to get online into that service is really interesting to anyone who doesn't really want to be in the data collection anymore, uh, business anymore. They don't um, in the EU 
anyone could approach a company and say, I want all my data. I want to see what you've collected on me and I want you to delete it from your databases, which is incredibly time and resource intensive. Sure. And that data isn't, isn't really that valuable to some of these big companies. Um, mm-hmm. They need the readers that don't need necessarily the data anymore. So it's actually a way to solve that problem in a way that solves time and money for the um, service and actually keeps the, the user much more in control of their data and the data stays in their hands and they have more choice. And so it's actually a win-win, and we're really trying to build uh, applications like that. What elements of identity are part of Social KYC right now? And I'm also curious about like how wide Social KYC gets. So we're hoping it gets uh, huge. Uh, we yeah. are looking um, at the gaming in particular because we think that's where we think we can drive uh, adoption 10x. Um, gaming, yeah. Basically, gaming, gaming. Cool. So. With gaming, you don't really need to know where the your you know your opponent is from necessarily. They can be in China, they can be down the street. Sure. You do need to know like their reputation. Have they won these tournaments? What are their skills? You also might be interested from the gaming entity on you know pairing tournaments and preventing um, smurfing is the new word I learned, um, okay. where you actually have played a game many times and you go through it really quickly to to grab all the rewards and you level up quickly even though you're kind of cheating. Okay, so we're trying to help you know prevent prevent those types of things um you know preventing counterfeit preventing cheating all these things are applicable to gaming to nfts um even to DAOs. so it's really this past you know six months with people starting to talk about web3 and all the metaverse and DAO um developments there have been Certainly the way that you would um, like self-identify in metaverse, that could be interesting. What parts of your identity, um, all the objects in the metaverse are going to have identity, just like, you know, land or assets um, in the real world could also um, have what we call um, DIDs or decentralized identifiers. So for Social KYC, we focused on rolling out. Um, it's a way for you to pr- prove that you have control of your social accounts. So yeah. I, through Social KYC, I say um, I'm at Christine Mohan on Twitter, and then the um, application sends a. T- I have to tweet uh, something that says I own and control my account, and then yeah. I prove to Social KYC that I have that, and then I get that credential. And then I can take that credential and I can put it in um, a wallet that we built called Sporon. And the mm-hmm. Sporon is a little pouch that you put in, that the Scots put in front of their kilts. So Love it's it. a little wa- a pouch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very creative branding. Uh, English side of everything. So good. <laughs> and this is kind of a conversation we've just started having as we go out and talk to consumers and we start talking about kilts. And, and we thought, oh, people are not going to want to sign up for a wallet, a browser extension, remember their seed phrase. And I certainly know this from being a civil. It's oh, a yeah. huge stumbling block. Yeah. Right, huge right, stumbling right. block. Yep. But the more we talk to people, they're like, well, signing up for a bank account is difficult. Well, doing this online is difficult. So So remembering 12 words is not that difficult. And really, how do you know that you're in Web3? Well, you have a wallet and you enter through the wallet. You can put your credentials in this wallet. Yeah. So the the Sporon is actually a wallet for your kilt Mm -hmm. and also your credentials. So um, I can basically verify that I have this Discord. Um, so we chose the ones that um, our influencers and game, gamers are use, uh, using. Yeah. Um, so you could verify that, yes, I have these 10 million um, followers on my YouTube. Um, and that might actually be able to vet you for different different ad deals, different partnerships. And so we've, we've done Discord, um, TikTok, 
email address for sure. And then I think LinkedIn is coming soon and then Instagram. So we've, we've kind of tried to do a mix of business consumer and then influencer and gaming. That's awesome. Is that going to expand to like actual government identities or is that going to be maybe a different project altogether? Probably a different project, but we do think there's different types of credentials and we're getting more questions about how, how we could uh, actually adapt to these to, to take different types of credentials. And certainly, um, Kilt is open source and we have an SDK that makes it easy for developers to say, oh, I could actually build my own verification business on Kilt. Yep. And that's going to become more and more um, kind of standard. The more people are doing online businesses, the more people are engaged with DAOs. Very cool. Next product you came up with there was a DidSign. What can you tell us about DidSign and, and who's been using it so far? So it's, it stands for the DID is the decentralized identifier. And so yeah. basically with it, a decentralized version of signing software. So you might be familiar with a more centralized version like DocuSign. Sure. Um, the difference is uh, this is an application that lives uh, on your browser, browser to browser. You sign, you send, um, you can send through Telegram, you can send through any type of channel you like um, for messaging. And it's also really simple to use. And so I just went through um, a business transaction in the U.S., you know, selling a property. And I just, <laughs> at the same time we were launching uh, DidSign, I'm like, oh, all this information is going into someone's database. All of this, all the deal terms, all the financials. Yes, and, and yes, <laughs> I know. Yes, yes, it's brutal. It hit very close to home. I'm like, okay, thank you. Goodbye to my data. Yeah. Don't know how it's going to be, you know, shared and used and... Um, <sighs> and how long it's going to live there. Yeah. But the interesting piece is, again, it's a very simple, light application. Um, you basically, you, you do need um, two kilts as a deposit because you need an on-chain DID. So you'll go into your Sporon wallet, mm -hmm. you'll take two kilt and you'll deposit it, and you'll sign up for your on-chain DID, which means you can actually have transactions that are then stored on the kilt blockchain. That We have to charge for that because it's a cost. Sure. And then the other, the related application we launched when we realized, okay, people can sign, but your signature, you're actually, your identity is about 26 letters and numbers. Not easy um, for, it's a little scary looking, especially if you're not familiar with um, strings like that. So let's try to make this a little more human readable. Let's make it a little more friendly. So we, we um, devised this thing we call um, Web3 name or W3N. Yeah. So I chose like my, my web name is Christine. I also have Christine Mohan if I'm doing something that's more business focused. So when I sign my document with DidSign, I'll also attach my credentials so they can see this is her email address. Um, if they care, they can look at my Twitter and it signs with my name. It is a signature in the DID, but then my name. And then when I let the person say the realtor know I've signed the contract, they then take the document that I've sent to them via email or telegram or signal, and they drag that document in into a little, you know, into a little field, super easy. And then you can see, okay, this is Christine Mohan. This is her email address. You have multiple layers of verification now. And it's not just um, documents. So, you know, we're all used to using DocuSign for PDFs, but you yeah. can actually sign software. You can sign software. You can sign audio. You can sign video. Sure. So we have some media companies interested in, the, um, in that piece of it and being able to verify that, for instance, a reporter or a photojournalist in the field, um, they send back a file. And you can see when you, when you drag your file in to verify it, you can also ensure that it has not been tampered with. So no one has touched this video. No one has, you know, um, changed it or altered it since the person signed it. 
Wow. Okay. Very handy. And the people receiving, there's a little bit of an, a learning curve for them to be able to verify with the did sign. Not really. They don't need to know anything about blockchain. They don't need killed coins. All they need to do is just drag it. And I think people are pretty used to drag and drop now. Amazing. So it actually, when you drag, drag it in, you get a check mark. You say it's verified if it has been changed. Um, so for instance, I was very interested when I was doing what I call, quote, multi-sig contracts, right? Five people had to sign this business deal. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, when I sent it, it was this. But I wonder when they countersigned. Is it the same document coming back to me? No little changes. So right. um, if any of that totally. happens and you get kind of a, a red X, like, no, this is something has happened and this is not the document that you sent. That's interesting. Any collaboration really, like I'm thinking about like uh, attempting to get a grant or something like that. You could get an okay on one version of a document, but then you could, you know, change it at the last minute, right? Right, right. And it would probably help even with little things like version control, which can also happen in, in the most innocent of ways. So sure. yes, you want to make sure you're both signing the same version of the document, the same final document. Yeah, so it's really exciting. And again, like we spent a lot of time and attention. We have um, some graphic designers who come out of like Nokia, Samsung, like very um, consumer facing products. Amazing. And so trying to make this very simple, um, intuitive uh, design. We're still working on it. We still have a couple iterations to go with our wallet, but that's been a, a really um, important focus for us. You guys have made really made the most of your slot on Kusama. Are you guys going to hang out on Kusama still for a while yet? Yes, we just secured yep. our second slot. We did an anonymous bid and we decided we, we, we've already done the community um, and the crowd loan once and we decided, okay, let's just quickly secure the second slot so we can keep building and launching. And then um, at the end of that, we'll decide. Um, and we also want the community to decide and uh, whether to go on on, um, on the Polkadot parachain. So that's definitely in the future. Um, we just have to decide how to do it, if it's a mix, if it's um, actually the community um, driving uh, driving it through through the DOT purchase. So what do you think this lease period is all about for the Kilt team? Adoption. Adoption. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Driving adoption, driving awareness with developers. We we don't really want to be in the well, we didn't think we wanted to be in the business of of building applications on Kilt. We really wanted to put it out there and take more of a, a Drupal or a WordPress approach. Sure. Here's the yeah. tech, go build on it, build your right. own business on it. But again, it goes back to what we spoke about before. Like people don't think about digital identity because they've given it away and they don't realize yeah. and certainly until we show them there are ways with blockchain, with web three tech. And also the Web3 mindset, right? More and more people are becoming much more aware and protective of privacy and data. And even there's some, you know, data unions is a new term that I've heard and that people are coming together on DAOs and actually saying, okay, we do want to aggregate all of our data, but we're going to be the ones that make the deals in, in what you get from my healthcare data. Wow. Very cool, right? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. At the start of our conversation, you were talking about your travels around Europe, uh, and you mentioned that you've been getting to get a sneak peek of a lot of new projects coming up. What do you think the trends for the blockchain space, and particularly .sama over the next three to five years, where do you think those trends are going to bring us? Well, certainly DeFi is here to stay, um, <laughs> but I think that, uh, of course, what we might see is more um, consumer-friendly uh, applications and projects around that. Yeah, I'm really excited by um, a lot of the newer wallets that are coming up. Talisman was an interesting um, uh, session at uh, Amsterdam, and I think again, this is this is going back into the functionality of wallets. Wallets moving beyond just holding coins. Right. Um, and actually, there was also a um, project that is going to do potentially cross-wallet communications and texts and SMS. And so 
I think more and more the wallet. And again, it's your entry point into Web3 and it's probably going to be the hub of your Web3 activity. Um, so and you'll true. take it with you and yeah, or you'll have multiple and that certainly people have multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely an exciting move. Um, I think I'm in the wait and see mo- mode for um, Metaverse. I, I still remember having like um, Sims or whatever those, you know, Sims nice. were. Um, but I do think, um, ironically, COVID and remote and people living on their um, devices is actually going to actually, you know, help. People are used to doing this anyway, right? They're used to interacting with people on a small screen. So yeah. Metaverse is probably going to get adopted and grow faster than it would otherwise. But yeah, and I think that the more I'm, I'm hoping that projects like identity, like, you know, things that are more universal will then get woven into these DeFi, NFT, metaverse. So it all becomes the glue to actually bring consumers in. Yeah, very interesting thoughts. Yeah, with the with the metaverses there, uh, we, we know it's going to be adopted, but I wonder if it's going to look exactly how we how it's looking right now. Like if it's going to have that sort of Sims look or if it's going to be something a little bit more abstract. We saw a demo in Lugano and then actually um, they spoke again in here in Berlin uh, for Momentum, which is um, Odyssey, which has an interesting yes. Web 2 origin where they yes. did the hackathons for 1,500 people. Uh-huh. And so now during COVID, they moved, um, they had this idea for the online version. And so if you, um, they're launching fully, I think at the end of May, and they're not doing land at all. This is uh-huh. in space and it's a, it's a Kusama like satellite, almost like a Saturn look to it. And you can zoom into the different Kusama projects and see the staking, see the activity. If they've got an online event going on, if they've got training, you can see the collators. Yep. You know, they could even use, use like a Web3 name, which helps brand your collators, brand your, um, your activity within uh, the chain. So they're not taking the land approach at all. And yep. I think that's one thing we all have to keep thinking of. We don't need to keep bringing Web2 constructs into Web3. That's we so don't true. need a, a DocuSign that vacuums up all your data. When you're in a DAO, you should be using, and of course, you know, every DAO seems to be using you know, Google Excel, and that's a little scary too. So <laughs> someone's got to build a decentralized you know, slides and PowerPoint and, uh, and Excel so we can run our businesses in a, in a decentralized way and, and within Metaverse or whatever. Yes, please. Um, well, Christine, <laughs> it was so awesome to uh, to speak with you today and to just get your point of view on everything based on all your experience across many different industries here. Is there anything you want to leave our audience with before you go? I would, actually. I would like to remind all the tech and blockchain organizers of events and investor events to keep putting women on stage, to keep hiring women into leadership positions, to keep hiring women engineers, um, and not just women, diversity. Um, you know, I worked mm-hmm. in media that was certainly not so diverse at times. I've worked in tech, so- right. software, hardware. We were doing pretty well in the blockchain space um, and then COVID and there's been a bit of a shift and it could be because it's moving more DeFi. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of what you call manals, all men on stage, sometimes for half a day. I saw that in your bio, yeah. yeah I added that to my bio after the last investor conference where it was the whole, and I had talked to the organizer beforehand and said, please tell me you're going to have women on stage. In fact, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound odd. 
I was one of the few women representing projects and more than one person, uh, founder or banker assumed that I was a girlfriend of someone. Oh my God. (laughs) That I wasn't working in a project. Yes. So even, so this is what happens, right? When there are no women on stage, people assume that you are the girlfriend, partner, whatever, or the, um, I don't know, (sighs) the waitress. So I don't want to see us go backwards there. You know, part of the reason a lot of us came into blockchain is because it was going to basically offer new ways to do things. So I think it's really still important that you're going to have a better product. You're going to have a better chain. You're going to have better applications if you have diverse folks on your team, bottom line. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And every project I work on gets a whole lot better when we get some women working on it as well. I know it's a massively male-dominated industry right now, but the quality of the women who are in the industry is just top-notch. And you're definitely one of them. You're an absolute trailblazer. And I think a lot of people look up to you uh, for what you do as well. Thank you. So I just want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your story with us today. It's been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, bringing me on. And it's been a great experience. And please keep doing what you're doing. We didn't have time to talk about what you are building and your Poke Assembly proposal. And so... I hope that everything goes through and you keep building media for this world. It's so important. Awesome. Well, I hope we get to talk soon and maybe in person. Definitely. Thank you so much. 